Well, if you did bring your Bible or your tablet or device, let me invite you to go to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter and chapter 1. Give you a second to slide there. 1 Peter chapter 1. 2020, what a year, huh? How's it been? It's been interesting. Again, you know, it has been almost to the day, three months since we worshiped together at Bayside High School. Um, The COVID pandemic, we've heard so much, we've seen so much about it, but we are aware that, that people have been sick in so many places around the world Death in so many places um, around the world, leading to job loss, uh, greater than we've ever seen in this country since the Depression, although we're beginning to hear positive signs, though, and so we're thankful to God for that. How about you walk into a store and you look at a shelf? What do you see? Suddenly there's some empty shelves, huh? Notice that? Just me? Listen, I've been looking at a camera for three months. Y'all are going to interact tonight. <laughs> Um, Many of you saw a story about a church in Holly Springs, Mississippi that was burned down by arsonists several weeks ago because they were gathering for worship. Uh, Many of you have maybe heard about the the influx of persecution for the church in China that as soon as China began to really recover from the pandemic, that, that country systematically has unleashed an attack on the churches throughout that country. And in the more recent days, we've seen the unjust murders of two black men, Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd. We've wrestled with that. And then we've seen cities that are burning. We've seen police officers who have also been killed. And we look at all of this. We're troubled. But church, let me say to you that we look to God our Savior, in all of these circumstances. And what we're going to see from the Scripture tonight, what I pray we're going to see over the summer as we walk through the book of 1 Peter, is that reality. See, all of life is best understood when we view it through the lens of the Word of God. Amen? Peter wants to tell Christians specifically how to live in the world. How do I as a Christian exist in this world of trouble? And Peter's letter is going to cover a lot of things. Um, It's going to cover things like, what is my relationship then to the world? Or if things look so hopeless, is there then any hope? It's going to cover, why does God say He is using suffering to refine my faith? What does it mean to live holy and obedient lives as a witness to those who don't yet know Christ? How do we live in a godly way with the government? Take off a few people with that sermon in a few weeks. If I don't mess with you on that one, this next one will surely get you. How do we live in a godly manner in our marriages is what Peter wants to talk about next. And then the following week in our relationships within the church, Peter's going to go there. He's going to take us there. How do we respond when we suffer as Christians? Or how should we respond when we are persecuted as Christians for doing the right thing? Peter's going to take us there. How about this one? Is it the end times? Is all this that's happening, is that what's going on? Peter's going to take us there a little bit. And if it is the end times, then what am I supposed to do or not do? 
Peter is going to take us there. So we're going to kick it off tonight, and believe it or not, with only two verses this evening. And this is really the, the greeting that Peter gives as he kicks off this letter. So let me read to us these two verses this evening. And as I read the Scripture to you, you'll see it on the screen behind me. But again, let me encourage you to open your Bible to read this evening. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. Elect exiles of the dispersion. In Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Let's take a moment and let's pray together as we open God's Word this evening. Father God, we do thank You for Your Word. Lord, it is a light to our feet, a lamp to our path. Father, we submit ourselves to Your grace and Your goodness and Your truth this evening. Would You challenge us? Would You encourage us? Father, we thank You that we can open Your Word together this evening. Father, we pray for Your blessing over this Word, and it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If you are taking notes, three applications for this evening. Number one, there is an eternal home as you endure exile and dispersion. Number two, there is a gospel unity in the church among all God's people. And number three, there is grace and peace through the Father, Holy Spirit, and Son. And we're going to walk through those three now. So number one, if you started writing down. There is an eternal home, says Scripture, as you endure exile and dispersion. The Scripture says this, to those who are elect exiles, which is probably not a badge or a term that you have used to describe yourself or someone that you love or maybe anybody in your entire life. But let's break it down. It says, first of all, elect which means quite simply chosen, the elect or chosen, those chosen and loved by God. You see, He chose to love you before you ever chose to love Him. You are His, that is elect. And then it says exile, which means someone who has been forcibly removed from their home and put somewhere else that they don't want to be, that is far worse, far more broken, far more hurtful and wounding than home. You think about being an elect exile. The very term sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? How on earth can I be your elect, Lord, and yet be an exile at the same time? And yet Peter identifies us just that way. It says the exile dispersion, or the historical term diaspora. Dispersion means scattering. You see, there was this moment in the Old Testament in 587 B.C. when the exile takes place, and God's people, Israel, are scattered all over the known world. This takes place because an enemy, a conquering enemy named Babylon, has come through and destroyed Israel. This is a time of death, a time of injustice, a time of suffering and sadness like nothing that we can imagine. You know the book of Lamentations in the Old Testament. It is a book of lament, of crying and weeping over this moment, over the exile dispersion. Their lives were uncertain, like ours. Their lives were filled with suffering in some way like ours. Now, we understand for the most part, we have not experienced the level of uncertainty or suffering or persecution 
that God's people were experiencing here. But we certainly have experienced some. And we understand when difficult things come, Peter is now pointing us to Christ. Paul's letter was written specifically to believers who are about to experience a wave of persecution like they have never seen yet. See, Peter could see that persecution was just ahead. We can date this letter of Peter to 63 A.D. And in 64 A.D., a guy named Nero comes along. You heard of Nero? The Roman Empire and Nero in 64 A.D., Nero does this. Nero orders his soldiers to set a massive fire in the city of Rome. And after nine days of his city burning to the ground, he blamed it on Christians. Nero had Christians then tortured and killed simply for being Christians. His favorite activity was tying them in sacks and lighting them on fire in order to illuminate his garden parties. This was the first of what they refer to now as ten persecutions of the Roman Empire attacking Christians. We believe that it is this moment that both the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter were martyred for their faith in Jesus. But brothers and sisters, understand this. This persecution, it had the opposite effect of what the enemies of God intended. It actually fanned the flames of the gospel moving forward so that the gospel spread like wildfire, dare I say, across the known world because of this persecution. And so Peter is saying here to all believers that we today, along with the church that he is writing to, are elect exiles in the world. See, since the fall of Adam and Eve, we have been longing for home waiting for a home, and living temporarily in a foreign land. See, when you're living in a country you are not from, you have a couple choices as to how you want to approach that. J.D. Greer spoke specifically to this idea in this passage. He suggests three metaphors or three ways that you can live. When you're in a country that you're not from, it's not your home, you can live in one of three ways. You can live as an immigrant, you can live as a tourist, Or as Scripture suggests here, we can live as an exile. Let's think about those for just a second. An immigrant is one who desires to make their temporary home permanent. This is not to say that real immigrants are at fault for moving to a new country. Please don't hear anything political here. Rather, hear something spiritual. That is to say that what a lot of believers do in this world is we move in and we focus on gaining the most comfortable life with all the stuff that we can hoard and pull together. And the things that we stress on are our money and our power, our comfort, our reputation, and our entertainment. But this is not our home. Right? We can also approach it as a tourist. Actually, listen to 1 Peter 2.11 on this point, being an immigrant sort of a mentality. He says this in 1 Peter 2.11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners or travelers and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. It's a lengthy way of saying don't be an immigrant and don't settle in this temporary place. 
Secondly, we can be a tourist. Tourists don't want to live in the country that they are visiting, right? They just want to stop in and visit. Tourists don't form any real connection to the place that they are at. Um, They stay huddled in their own little group. They speak their own language. If there is injustice or wickedness in the city, you don't care because you're not sticking around. You're just traveling through. Listen to 1 Peter 2.12 on that point. It says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We are travelers and exiles, says the Scripture, and yet we are also called, guys, to be on mission as gospel ambassadors. To use a familiar Florida hurricane term, tis the season for that as well, right? Christians, it doesn't mean that we are called to hunker down. It doesn't mean that we are called to simply ride it out until Christ returns. It means that we are called to live out the solution to the world's problems and the solution to America's problems, which is knowing and following Jesus. Or third, we can be an exile. An exile whose hope is not where they are currently, but whose hope is home. See, an exile serves, and the Israelites live this out, an exile serves in their new city, forms gospel relationships in their new city, but they don't want to get so attached that they forget their greater home. I preached in this room, on this stage, from John chapter 14, two times in the last four years, when my grandmother passed away and when my grandfather passed away. And I shared with that body of believers who gathered to celebrate their going home. And I read them this passage that I want to read to you now. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. Let it sink in. Let not your hearts be troubled, says Jesus. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Thank you, Jesus. As we just learned in our City Kids lesson, in the Old Testament, God commanded Israel to build a tabernacle, a tent, a special but temporary place to experience God's presence. But it was temporary. It was imperfect. The tent is no longer there. You see, even in that tent, the problem of sin, separating God's people from God, was still there, and the solution had not yet come. But listen now to Revelation 21.3, right? The end of the book. Revelation 21.3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Revelation gives us a vision of heaven. When the scripture says he will dwell with them, it literally is saying in the Greek, he will tabernacle with them. He will tabernacle with them. There is an eternal home, brothers and sisters as you endure exile and dispersion. Number two, 
Number two is this, there is gospel unity in the church among all of God's people. And this is an important point that the scripture makes here simply by telling us this, the elect are these in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. These five regions cover most of what is the modern day country of Turkey. It covers areas of coastline and it covers areas of mountain ranges, but it also covers a diverse people. There was a diverse population of believers spread throughout that area. And understand that they had different ethnicities. They had different languages. They had different religious backgrounds that they had come out of to know Christ. And they had different political histories. And yet, despite all of those differences, they were unified. They were the body of Christ. They were the family of God. They were a brotherhood, a new people of God. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 2 on this specific point. Verses 9 and 10 say this, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Did you read that passage just now, maybe with a a fresh set of eyes, thinking about what the Scripture is telling us? See, church, we have been given a gift that the world is desperate for. We are one race identified by God's sovereign love. We are one nation, identified by the holiness that comes only through Christ. We are one people, identified by the fact that Father God cherishes us. Peter is talking here to and about both Jews and Gentile Christians. Who better than Peter to help us understand this? We talked about this a couple weeks ago. If you remember, this is so important Peter was supposed to be the apostle to the Jews, and he was, but it is Peter who God chooses to speak this message to. Peter got a vision, if you remember, in Acts chapter 10. The heavens opened up, and a sheet came down, and there were animals on the sheet, and the voice of God said to Peter, eat. And Peter says, no way. I've never touched, let alone eaten, anything unclean. And God stops him and says, who are you to call unclean what I have made? And Peter's eyes began to open that this was not simply about food. This was about the people and the family of God. Something is changing. There's a heavenly vision and a heavenly movement that is taking place when the voice of God begins to speak. And Peter comes out of that moment. God directs him to a man named Cornelius who is not a Jew. He's a Gentile. And Peter now understands that he can and he must share the good news of the gospel. And God moves in his heart and Cornelius believes, his entire family believes, and they declare Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. And Peter takes this information. And in Acts chapter 15, Peter leads the entire church of God worldwide as the leaders gather together in a revolutionary gospel shift to fully include the Gentiles in the family of God. 
and to no longer demand that they follow these Jewish customs. As what, what could cause this level of heart change? What could make over a thousand years of history within Israel change in this way? Only Jesus. Only the gospel changes lives, changes people, ends brokenness. Only Jesus. Legislation is good, guys. Education is good. Conversation is good. Reform is good. Peaceful protest is good. Jesus is better. There are things that only Jesus can do. The only thing that will truly change a heart is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only thing that will change a city, a community, or a country is the gospel of Jesus Christ, is knowing Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior and following Him with my life. Our kids know how to sing it, right? Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in His sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. But after Jesus ascended into heaven, many Christian Jews specifically were still blind to their own sin of treating their Gentile brothers and sisters as second-class citizens. That's literally what is taking place here in the Scripture. But Peter's repentance of that specific sin was powerful. New city. We want to continue to grow with the first century church, with the movement and power of the gospel, and live in such a way that our church continues more and more to reflect every tribe, tongue, and nation that exists here in our city. That every race, creed, and story would be reflected in this church family as more and more people come to know the good news of the gospel. And one of the ways that that has to happen is that we live in such a way that all people, regardless of their background or story, feel welcome into our church family. I know I can do better there. I know that we can do better there. The gospel also calls us to respond when our brothers and sisters in Christ are asking for support, are asking for help. In the same way that God made the Jews and the Gentiles one, He calls us to do the same with every race in our world. Amen? Number three. Number three, the Scripture tells us this. There is grace and peace. Thank God. Hallelujah. There is grace and peace through the Father, the Holy Spirit, and the Son. He gives us three attributes, one for each member of the Trinity here. It says the foreknowledge of the Father. See, remember, Peter started off by telling us that we are chosen, we are elect. Peter might have suspected that God's love to the Gentiles was an afterthought, that his love was some sort of a reaction, that God got surprised and had to adjust to now Gentiles coming to faith. No, no, no. These Christian Jews and Gentiles, you and me, are God's chosen people because He has known them from all eternity. 1 Peter 1 and verse 20 says that Jesus the Son was foreknown, same word, by God the Father. 
in the same way, before the foundations of the world, says Scripture, if you are in Christ, you are not an afterthought to the God of the universe. If tonight you give your life to Jesus, you are not an afterthought to the God of the universe. So the word foreknowledge means both Christ and His people were known by God and were the recipients of God's fatherly love from all eternity. God is the author of salvation from the beginning. Paul puts it this way in Galatians chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, talking about himself. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. This is Paul who murdered, who persecuted Christians. Then it says sanctified. It says sanctified by the Spirit for obedience. This world is not your true home. You understand? This world is not your true home. So don't get obsessed with your experiences here on earth because they will not last. Be they good or evil. Don't let it bother you when everyone around you seems to notice that you're a little different. You seem odd. You seem strange. Yes. Because if you're in exile, you belong to a different kingdom. And brothers and sisters, we, we are part of a different kingdom. We have a different set of values. We have a higher set of hopes and we have a higher authority. Christians are supposed to seem strange. For some of you, that will be easy. If you choose to love, if you choose to forgive, if you choose to obey the Word of God, you will seem strange. For those of you who feel stuck in your faith, stalled out in your faith. I'm not growing. Nothing seems to be changing in me. Or you look at yourself and you say, I don't look any different from the world. I don't look any different since I came to know Jesus Christ. God loves you too much to leave you where you are at, is what this passage is telling us. Here is a powerful promise, struggling believer. Sanctification by the Spirit for obedience. The God who justified you before the throne of God will also sanctify you, meaning the grace that saves us is the grace that continues to change us. Thank God, because we cannot do any of it on our own. The Holy Spirit is making us each day more and more into the image of His Son by His grace. And then it says, cleansed with the sprinkled blood of Jesus. Peter's taking us back to that scene in Exodus, in the Old Testament, where God is making a covenant, a promise with His people. And in that scene in Exodus, half of the blood of the animal that had been sacrificed on their behalf was sprinkled. The blood was sprinkled on the altar, and the other half of the blood of that lamb was sprinkled over the people was sprinkled on the people. Now we are saved by a new and a better 
covenant, by a new and a better lamb, a lamb of God. Jesus' blood satisfies God's holy wrath and justice and makes atonement or payment for our sin. Listen to 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Knowing that you were ransomed, bought back from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with a perishable thing such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Peter blesses believers with his final words, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Peter knew how much he needed grace, and so he knows how much we need grace. Remember Peter the one whose faith floundered when he got out of the boat and began to sink in the waves because he couldn't trust Jesus who was standing in front of him. Peter, who challenged Jesus' authority in front of all the other disciples so ridiculously that Jesus looks at him and calls him Satan. Peter, the one who lied three times, denied Jesus three times the very day that Jesus was going to be put to death. Peter understands our need for grace, and he understands our need for peace. 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 The new peace, the new shalom, says the Scripture, when we go home to the new city. Why are we called New City Church? We want to see our city made new by the gospel. This city but yet we understand that our eternal home is the new city in heaven, face-to-face with Jesus who has prepared a room for you and for me by His grace. It was a moment when Jesus, with His disciples at the Last Supper, said, peace, I leave you. Peace, I leave you. My peace, I give you. See, the world cannot take away the peace of Jesus, nor can they supply the peace of Jesus. The peace of Jesus, the grace of Jesus is found only at the cross. Amen.